You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. This is episode number 83, Natural Language Processing, how the analysis of unstructured text data can help us. <music> I'm so excited. The leadership program of the Effective Statistician is open for enrollment again. We have only 32 slots and the first people already enrolled. And by the time this goes live, that is probably a much lower number that is still available. Even if it's still available. The enrollment actually ends end of the month. And if you want to learn more about that, how to improve your influencing skills, how to have a bigger impact at work, how to make more out of your careers, then go to theeffectivestatistician.com slash course and there you will find all the details. This program is designed for statisticians by statisticians and we designed it to strengthen your leadership skills so you can maximize your impact at work, even if you don't have direct reports. So this is not leadership in terms of supervisory skills. This is leadership for everybody. It's leadership without a title. And the leadership program is a mixture of webinars, podcasts, and moderated small group discussions. So it's very, very interactive and it's focused on people in the health sector with lots of nice examples that all our students could relate to. So we believe all statisticians can be leaders if they are trained accordingly. So have a look. It would be awesome to see one of the listeners or maybe a couple of the listeners to this podcast in this program it's just so much fun and uh, so much nice nice learning this podcast is created in association with psi a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives join psi today to further develop your statistic capabilities with access to the video on demand content library free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Just visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And today I'm talking to Jennings. Hi Jennings, how are you doing? Hi Alexander, doing very well. Uh, thank you for having me. Okay, very good. So let's start with a short introduction of yourself. Um, you have, uh, you're working in a quite a unique company and maybe you can tell a little bit about how you came to the jobs that you're currently in and, and what your company is working on. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Jennings Su. Uh, I'm currently a director focusing on the healthcare product at uh, a company called Quid. Uh, so Quid is essentially an AI uh, natural language processing company that's really seeking to understand and extract information from unstructured text data. Um, so as 
as Alexander mentioned, I, I kind of came upon this, uh, you know, this current position through a, a pretty diverse route. Um, I was originally, you know, very focused in the sciences. I would say um, a biology major when I was an undergrad at, at Harvard. Uh, and then after that, I delved into some computational gaze fixation research for kids with autism at Yale. Uh, then I essentially started on a kind of a medicine route uh, at Case Western Reserve U- University before moving to uh, McKinsey to do consulting. Um, but kind of through all of those experiences, what I realized is that there is such a need right now in the healthcare space across, essentially across all of the different stakeholders for the ability to analyze uh, data and to leverage the, the advances we've had in machine learning, uh, in artificial intelligence, uh, to basically help us understand that data. And so that's why I've, uh, you know, I've made it to, to my current role here at Quid. So a few more words uh, about Quid uh, in particular. Um, essentially, uh, we're a startup, uh, but we've been around for about 10 years now, uh, working with about 200 of the, of the uh, Fortune 500 companies. And as I mentioned, it's an AI uh, natural language processing company. So specifically what that means is uh, instead of doing uh, kind of the traditional text mining approaches to unstructured data, we're really looking to understand context and understand the relationship between uh, different themes that we extract from the data. And as you can imagine, this is fairly industry agnostic, but healthcare is actually the sector that we've seen the greatest uh, growth in need over the past few years, as finally a lot of the stakeholders are opening up their, you know, vast amounts of internal data that they want to be analyzed. So in terms of um, text mining, why is this such an important area to actually look into? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it really comes down to the overwhelming amount of data that is really being generated and how much of that data is essentially in text format. So there was a um, there was a report by the IDC a few years ago that essentially estimated, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, it was somewhere on the order of 175 zettabytes of data worldwide by 2025. So what what are zettabytes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so zettabytes are uh, essentially one million petabytes, and, and petabyte is already one thousand gigabytes. So you can imagine essentially, um, you know, a zettabyte, in other words, is one billion gigabytes for you know for for uh, those of you who who understand gigabytes. So with the rise of that much data, um, the the challenge, of course, is how can you meaningfully use all of that data? Right. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting because, you know, traditionally the field of AI, like we, it, it's, it's fascinating if you look at the history of AI, because originally, um, you know, the, the pioneers in AI started by wanting to look at text data because everybody kind of understood that, oh, you know, text data is just, it's so slow for humans to process and to understand. Um, and wouldn't it be great if, you know, we could have a machine basically read the text for us. So that core idea really dates back to the, the very beginnings of, of AI. But the problem is it was very quickly understood that computationally it's very challenging 
right, to process um, uh, a lot of text data. And so that's why, you know, if you think about the last 10 years or so, a lot of the advances about, let's say, 10 years ago were really in understanding the digital data from the quantitative perspective. So that was saying, you know, can we do advanced modeling? Uh, can we take structured data, which is data that's already present in uh, predefined fields, and build out those relationships? And it's really only in the last two to three years that the rise of, of text data and, and, again, natural language processing has really kind of even outstripped that growth in, um, in quantitative data the modeling. Um, and that's because we're finally at a place where we can use, uh, you know, some advanced techniques like, you know, neural nets and, uh, and you know, deep learning in general to tap into, you know, all of that uh, unstructured text data in a way that computationally was not feasible uh, in the past. Yeah, I see that lots of data that we generate across this, this text data, be it on social media or even kind of, uh, if you think about videos, lots of them, uh, these come with text data where you can easily uh, transcribe the audio files into text data. So there's a endless stream in terms of generating text data um, also internally, if you think about Emails, if you think about short mm. messages, if you think about notes that people put into systems like, um, yeah, like, uh, medical, uh, science liaisons that are out in the field or, um, uh, people that sit at the medical information uh, call centers who enter data from, from the customers there. Or you could even, you know, record the uh, calls there and then transcribe them and use them as source data. So there's lots of lots of different areas um, where text data is generated on an ongoing basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other interesting thing about this uh, is that I forgot to mention in that figure of 175 zettabytes, they also estimated that 80 to 90% of that would essentially be unstructured text data. Um, because as you pointed out, right, there are so many different ways that we essentially digitally communicate now. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not, you know, machines, right? We don't communicate using, you know, ones and zeros. We communicate using language. We communicate using, um, you know, vast amounts of, of unstructured data. And the other really interesting thing that's emerging in the last year or so is the approach towards multimodal capture of, of this data and integrating the multimodal approaches together. So, for example, Facebook recently announced that, you know, they were looking at uh, kind of the challenge of integrating the unstructured data that comes from voice along with, let's say, email messages, along with, um, uh, you know, uh, essentially any other modes of, of communication that, that they're able to capture on their on their platform. So modes you mean different, like text and, and voice and uh, video and, and these kind of things? Yes, correct. Correct. Because traditionally, the, pro, uh, the techniques to analyze each of them have been slightly different. Um, and it's been a challenge to integrate the data that you're getting, the analysis that you're getting from the voice analysis with the video analysis, uh, you know, with the, the email. Uh, but now there's this recognition that, again, we're not living in a bubble uh, that we use, you know, as humans, we use all all three of these channels or other channels to, to communicate. So there is a need for a consolidated, um, you know, text engine to understand all of that. Okay. Okay. And in terms of the specific problems in, in, 
in the medical field, where do you see kind of in the medical field the mm-hmm. biggest amounts of text data? Yeah, yeah. So the medical field, you know, has has a lot of unique challenges when it comes to text data, um, and and a lot of this is because. It, it's because of the way that, uh, you know, the, the medical field itself tends to be quite jargonistic uh, in a way that, you know, is not true of, of many other industries. Um, when you think about, for example, electronic medical records, you know, doctors have many different ways of uh, notating something as simple as the as the frequency of dosing, right? Um, so, for example, if you want to say something, you know, you want to take twice a day, they might write in their note twice a day. Uh, they might use an acronym like, you know, BID. Um, you know, they might use another shorthand that their system they're familiar with. Um, and because of all of these different ways of, of uh, entering essentially the same content, but in different ways, it's led to a challenge for general uh, kind of AI and general text analytics, because the general analytics platforms were essentially trained not on that specific data set. They were trained on, you know, let's say reviews online, uh, uh, let's say you know, articles, uh, you know, online, even discussing health concepts. It doesn't include that, that content in there. And so one of the, the, you know, recent movements has been to try to train AI engines specifically on uh, you know, scientific literature on electronic medical record data uh, to try to capture, you know, the different ways that the content is being expressed by physicians. Um, and you can even think some of this is actually even not not just a uh, syntactic problem, but it comes down to the way that uh, we describe our body and and how you want to capture that information algorithmically. So I'll give you an example. Um, if you think about the phrase. Uh, or the word headache, right? Uh, the head, a headache is a medical term. It, you know, describes a, a very specific uh, symptom mm-hmm. that a patient may have. But there are actually many ways of describing a headache in the note. And if you're a human reading that note, you should be able to pick up on all of those uh, those different ways. So, for example, you might say, uh, you know, okay, the uh, first one is patient had a headache that has lasted for about six hours. You might say that, oh, uh, patient has been having pain in their, uh, you know, left temporal area uh, for six hours. You might say the patient has felt this constant pressure uh, right by their ear for yeah. again the last six hours or so or for half a day. And so as you see, there there's just so many different ways of, of capturing that knowledge. And the real challenge here is that the traditional way of understanding concepts uses uh, what we call n-grams. So n-grams is essentially a sequence of words that represent one concept. So a unigram is one word representing one concept. A bigram is two words, trigram is three words, and so on and so forth. But again, in the in the um, in the examples I just gave, that last one, where a patient has you know pain around their left ear, uh, so pain around the you can drop the the so pain around left ear. That's four words, and those four words that quadgram essentially is still referring to the same concept as the unigram uh, headache. And so you can see quickly how this can become a, a big challenge for AI to deal with because 
when you design uh, an algorithm, you basically have to set constraints on how many words you can string together to represent one uh, one concept. And because you know doctors can use many different ways of describing it, and as a human we would understand it, but as an algorithmic engine, um, you know, you run into a lot of computational problems. Okay, okay. And um, in general, what are other kind of concepts be beyond these engrams that, that you're using in terms of uh, text mining? Yeah, sure. So uh, do you mean other other challenges yeah. that, that the uh, yeah. industry faces? The issue of emotion uh, and sentiment within our language is a, has been a huge research question for a while now. Um, and there is interesting, you know, advances coming primarily actually out of Stanford that are trying to address it. Uh, but think of sarcasm. When we speak, right, uh, oftentimes when, you know, you're communicating face to face, uh, and again, in voice capture, there's, there's good progress here. You can detect sarcasm. Uh, largely it's because of how we construct our sentences and, and the, uh, the accent that we might have on specific words that are slightly out of the ordinary. And so when we, when we have those communications in person, it's, it's easiest for us to detect sarcasm. But when you think about it, even within pure, you know, text communications, oftentimes you can still detect sarcasm. It's not 100%. And oftentimes, you know, I'm sure, you know, all of you have heard of, you know, those, uh, you know, uh, faux pas where, you know, you've texted something and you meant it sarcastically, but the other party didn't, didn't yeah. receive it as such. But largely, I would say, um, we are able to communicate sarcasm in, in those text messages because the audience understands the context in which your message was placed. And again, if, if there is a clear contrast between what the, you know, specific frequency of the words are, uh, sorry, the specific sequence of the words are and, and the intended meaning, then you can start to detect, uh, sarcasm but for again for an algorithm it's very challenging because it's already hard enough for the algorithm to understand well what is the you know quote unquote meaning of the of the words you've you've put together but then to say okay well that meaning is different than what the expected meaning is from the context so that's still something very hard and challenging um, but like I said, there, there have been advances in in this field lately um, largely what people have been uh, experimenting with is trying to use again deep learning to detect large amounts of sarcasm in online reviews and then essentially say you know uh comparing the the responses that you might type in a text uh, against that you know body of, of literature so to speak and if it matches a pattern of sarcasm they can label it as a as sarcasm okay well so, so basically text mining is also able to identify emotions so so for example for um, a call, you could you could detect whether the call went well in terms of how the emotions change uh, over time. So, so you know, in terms of having a problem at the beginning and being concerned to being relieved and and happy at the end, for example. Yeah, that that's correct. Um, and I do want to make a, a slight distinction, uh, Alexander, for your, for your listeners, um, in the difference between text mining and natural language processing. Um, in general, you can consider them very similar concepts, but uh, specifically for this question, I want to highlight the difference. So, with text mining, you're you're looking at essentially the specific content of words that are in uh, you know your data source. So, usually, you're looking at uh, frequency of distribution. Uh, you might might be looking at uh, you know comparative metrics uh, you know between one post and another, 
uh, and that that tends to be text mining versus so things like I want to see how often let's say a certain treatment is used over time in That's different correct. areas and whether that increases or decreases and how that compares for example with another treatment and correct and, and how Okay. Correct. Exactly. And that's very valuable, as, as you've pointed out, because oftentimes what you want to do is you want to measure um, essentially the volume of conversation that has changed over time, because that might be a, a marker uh, for, you know, for your team to pay more attention to a specific topic. Um, but for natural language processing, you're actually looking at the context around those words. Um, and what they mean by context is you're trying to form relationships between the words themselves. So you want to say, you know, the uh, phrase one, again, headache or uh, ear pain here is related to the other words in this paragraph uh, by, you know, some kind of, uh, usually you use a, a two by two kind of vector plot to, to show those, those relationships. And that's important because when you're looking at emotion or sentiment, you, you can't rely on the text mining approach. You have to rely more on the naturalistic approach at looking at the data. Um, because, uh, for example, if you're if you have a sentence like uh, you know drug uh, drug A was better than drug B, right? That sentence by itself, if you use a text mining approach, you might detect the word better. So better usually has a slightly positive sentiment, and then you detect both drug A and drug B in that sentence. So you would say, oh, well, both drug A and drug B have positive have positive sentiment. But that's, you know, as, as you know, you and I know, obviously that's, that's incorrect because what you're actually trying to capture in that sentence is positive sentiment for drug A because drug A is better than and then negative sentiment for drug B. And so that relationship is looking at, okay, where is, you know, drug A in relation to the word better? Uh, what is it better than? And so on and so forth. So that's where I want to say, you know, focusing more on the naturalistic uh, interpretation of, uh, of words is key. Okay. Um, are there any other such concepts uh, that we could look into using natural language processing? Uh, you mean similar to sentiment? Is that is that the question? Yeah, sentiment and just context and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think context uh, and sentiment are, are both great examples. One one recent field uh, that has been burgeoning is trying to look at scientific literature uh, using uh, uh, using AI and, and NLP techniques and trying to uncover biases. Uh, in the, in the published data. Um, so, well, one is biases. The other is trying to uncover essentially, um, potentially any errors in the data that you can cross-reference against the existing body of literature. Um, and the way that this is being done is that you're using the technology to run through, let's say, a, a full scientific paper. And you're looking at the way that the paper has been constructed, uh, compared to, uh, again, your existing body or ecosystem of literature. So as you detect uh, differences in the construction, so for example, if you detect uh, that this paper basically skipped an important step or it only looked at, uh, you know, uh, out of the four common uh, groups that are, are looked at in this space, it only looked at two groups uh, when doing this analysis, you're actually able to algorithmically detect that, you know, this study is not as powerful as, uh, you know, some, some other studies or vice versa. You might actually be able to detect that the existing literature has some biases that your new research is actually side, uh, is actually uh, able to overcome. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Could we also use that to basically 
improve communication. So I use, for example, a tool that, that looks into how I write and, and makes suggestions for improvement. Is that also natural language processing? It is, it is. Uh, and actually, you've highlighted the, the flip use case of this, which is to help construct a, a better paper, right? Because you can essentially turn turn this technique into one that shows that, oh, you know, actually... Uh, in order to have the most robust study that is most likely to get through, let's say, the you know, top reviewers at, at Nature or Science, then you have to have X, Y, and Z. And you're able to ex- algorithmic, algorithmically extract what X, Y, and Z are uh, from all of the papers that have been submitted in the past. Okay, interesting. Hopefully it's not just having the right authors on the paper, but that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, um, let's, let's keep... Dig a little bit into the different data sources mm-hmm. that, that we can tap into. So, so you just mentioned um, publications as a data source. So that is, I would think, abstracts and papers that are publicly available and are open access. Is and how? What are other data sources to tap into? Yeah, absolutely. So, so as you mentioned, right, publications, especially the open publications, are are a great data source uh, for for algorithms, especially with the kind of with the scientific community starting to move towards more open publications in general. And there are a lot of efforts now to to try to uh, you know even make some of the the older publications putting them onto an open open database if possible. Um, but in terms of other data sources, essentially think about any text data that uh, that you have access to. So first is, as I mentioned, internal data, right? So if you're looking within hospital systems and insurance systems, it would be looking at electronic medical records. It might be looking at claims data. Um, it might be looking at, for example, any follow-up conversations, like if you're doing a voice capture of, uh, of a doctor's call, transcribing and annotating that, that voice call. Um, if you're looking, you know, beyond that and looking at, uh, you know, online data, there's just a whole treasure trove of, of online data that's that's available as well. Um, you know, I recently published in, in New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst, um, essentially analysis of online patient conversations uh, together with, uh, uh, with, with UCB on patients who have been talking about their chronic conditions on, you know, areas like uh, epilepsy.com or uh, alzheimers.com, you know, those open forums where patients are coming together to discuss the issues that they're facing in their daily life. And, you know, it's a public open forum. There's no way that uh, any team could actually go through and read all of the millions of of posts that people put online. Mm -hmm. Um, but or even if you did actually hire, let's say, a million people to read it, there's no way to to uh, eliminate the bias in, in what they're detecting. And so that's again a great example of where uh, AI is able to play. Is you you leverage the same algorithm that can literally read through millions and millions of of documents, uh, uh, documents being you know patient posts online. And understand, well, what is the collective voice of those patients and what are they struggling with and quantitatively assess, uh, you know, the impact that, you know, uh, let's say certain side effects or uh, certain uh, treatment modalities have on their life. In terms of these online um, chats, lots of these things also happen on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, What about that is, uh, I guess that's, probably very different from social media type to to one another given what kind of 
easy just to access it, isn't it? Sorry, what, what was the last question? So, so is it kind of the same whether you go into Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn? Is, it, is, is all of these easily accessible? They're not easily accessible. Um, and I would let me first caveat right by saying that, you know, when we look online, we still have to, of course, respect everyone's privacy, meaning that if you are looking at this data, one is you make sure that you're looking at, uh, you know, open forums where, again, the stated purpose of that forum is to have uh, a public discourse and, uh, and discussion on this topic. And number two is that, uh, you know, we never look for essentially any personally identifiable data uh, or any, you know, protected health information. The idea here is not to understand and uncover specific individuals, but to understand what is uh, a group as a whole uh, struggling with. Mm -hmm. So uh, the challenges is, you know, when you go on to, for example, looking at uh, Facebook or LinkedIn data, LinkedIn is a little bit different because, you know, oftentimes people will post and it's meant to be a professional network. So they do post publicly on this. Uh, but it would be highly unlikely that you would find, for example, you know, them discussing their personal health concerns on, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Whereas on Facebook, they might, right? They might uh, within a, uh, you know, an online group in Facebook or a closed group in Facebook specifically talk about their own personal challenges. So again, we want to try to stay away from that data if it is essentially too personally identifiable, uh, because the goal here is not to pry into to people's lives. It's to look at the, the yeah. state of the the, uh, the the you know the space as a whole. Um, so I would say that you know Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, you know again we tend to stay uh, away from, and I would say that you know most groups now, uh, most you know tools that are trying to understand social media also are trying to stay away from those. Twitter is a little bit different because again Twitter is meant to be be a public uh, ideas and exchange platform. Um, and people often advertise their identities on Twitter. But, you know, again, insofar as for the, the bulk of our analyses, we're not concerned with specific individuals. We're looking for uh, the, the aggregate analysis. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess through, if you look, for example, into Twitter data, you would get all kind of metadata together with that kind of, for example, when it's posted and how often it's retweeted and, and these kind of things, isn't it? Yes, correct, correct. Um, and with Twitter, again, because it's meant to be a public platform, some of that data by design from Twitter is available. Um, or actually, as you've mentioned, pretty much all of that metadata um, is is available through Twitter. Um, but you know, for example, with Facebook, uh, none of that information is now is now available uh, unless you you know you're actually at at Facebook. Um, but you know, with Twitter, that's why you know for uh, for individuals who are posting on Twitter a lot, uh, that is actually something that they're trying to cultivate, though, right? If you think about uh, if you think about Twitter as a platform, it's fundamentally different than Facebook because when you're tweeting, you are tweeting out to the general public. You are not sending mm -hmm. a targeted message to your to your group of friends, um, and because of that, you know, again, a lot of those metrics, such as demographics, it's voluntary. You know, the the author voluntarily. Uh, provides those those metrics again you oft, oftentimes to just to boost their their credibility and and uh, boost their own profile so that's kind of in our community considered a little bit more fair game to go after um, but in you know again in general I want to stress that we're looking primarily at aggregate level data as you speak about community what are kind of communities where people that are interested in natural language processing would, would get together? Are there any kind of specific associations or uh, forums or groups? 
where, where people can uh, find like-minded um, people with common interest? Yes, absolutely. There are actually uh, quite a few good conferences uh, that you can go for for natural language processing. Um, I'll actually start off by saying that Facebook hosts, uh, hosts a, a really nice uh, conference each year uh, focused on natural language processing. Um, and uh, I think Google has one as well, though it's a it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit more niche. But essentially, all of the the big uh, tech uh, companies hold their hold their own uh, conferences now. Um, that being said, if you want to be kind of more academic and, and you're looking for kind of those more academic conferences, uh, you probably want to look at uh, something like the um, the the annual um, kind of meeting for the Association for Computational Linguistics. Uh, so it's called the the ACL. Um, so that's that's a big one that uh, I know a lot of my colleagues uh, have gone to. Um, I think also the um, there's one called Interspeech, uh, which I've had a few friends go to, which is the the conference for international speech communication. So there's there's the uh, international uh, kind of conference on natural language processing, the ICNLP, uh, which is a good one to go to. There's actually a lot of these different conferences, um, and I would say that it's good to go to a mix to to when you're trying to build out that community. Because if you go to the more tech uh, sponsored ones, what you'll find is you'll find a lot of industry folks uh, like myself who are trying to to make progress in this field. Um, So you see a lot of the actual practical applications of the technology versus when you go to um, something like the the International Conference for for Natural Language Processing, you'll find the top researchers presenting completely novel techniques that they're experimenting with. Um, And so it's good to go to a mix of these and and see both the practical uh, industry applications as well as the, the new science that's being Uh, researched. Awesome. Thanks so much. And in terms of, um, let's say, beginner's guide, could you recommend a book or an online resource or anything like that that would be good for, you know, people that would ever like to have a first glance into this topic? Yes, absolutely. There is one book that I absolutely love. uh, And let me, I'm actually trying to pull up my own iBooks list to to remember the exact name of it. Um, And it's actually open uh, it's open source. It, it's written by, it was actually started when I think the author uh, was either a PhD or, or a postdoc. Um, but, uh, but now I think he's a, he's a professor, but let me pull up the exact name of this book. Uh, sorry, give me one second here. Yes. So it's called speech and language processing by Daniel Jarafsky and James Martin. Awesome. Awesome. So for the listener, we'll put that into the show notes so you can easily find it. That was a really, really, really nice introduction to to natural language processing, understanding kind of uh, where it applies in the medical fields. It's a couple of different concepts that have been talked about, uh, sentiments and um, uh, understanding engrams and, and what that means. Also, we understand now that there's a vast majority of texts that we can access, either internally or externally from the companies. And it's it's quite interesting that there's a lot of interest in this area. And um, finally, some good starting resources. So thanks so much, Jennings, for, for this nice um, uh, interview. Do you, do you have any kind of last comment on it? 
Yeah, and, and thank you for having me, Alexander. As as you can tell, I'm 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 very passionate about this area and and really interested in in kind of seeing how it goes. I think my final comment here is just that this is still a space that's in the exploratory phase, right? Um, when you think about uh, you know the the rise of of AI and machine learning and, and deep learning in general. There's so much uh, that's unexplored here that that we just haven't, you know, the research has not gotten there yet. Uh, the industry has not has not had time to implement and try out yet. So for you know those of our listeners who are interested in getting involved in this space, I would say this is absolutely the right time to to jump in and learn more because you know we don't know, like neither I nor the other industry folks here know what is let's say the best method or the best algorithm um, at pushing this forward. But neither do uh, the academic teams, right? Uh, and so. So I think it's only through a collaboration between uh, kind of the the cutting edge research, uh, along with uh, you know refining and giving them more data to work with, that we can have through industry collaborations. That's how we'll really evolve and and start to accelerate the growth in this space. Thanks so much. Have a nice time. Bye. Thank you, Alexander. Take care. Bye bye. was created in association with PSI and thanks to Rain who helps with this show a lot in the background. Actually she also helps with the Effective Statistician Leadership Program and that is for sure something you want to have a look into. Please just go to theeffectivestatistician.com slash course and there you will find all the uh, information about this uh, leadership program. Of course, you will find on our homepage also all the show notes and everything, uh, all the references from the uh, discussion today with Jennings, which I really, really enjoyed. Thanks for listening and reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.